This is In-House Insiders, a podcast from the Association of Corporate Counsel, where you'll hear from the most interesting in-house legal professionals in Australia. On the show, we'll explore their stories, the challenges they've faced along the way, and the lessons they've learned that have defined their careers. I'm your host, May Ramsey, and I'm the Group Executive Legal Governance and Regulatory Affairs at Medibank. Today, we're speaking to Nathan Lonsoir, Chief Legal and Commercial Officer at Transdev. Nathan was the winner of the prestigious In-House Lawyer of the Year Award at the 2021 Australian Corporate Lawyer of the Year Awards. Nathan has had a really interesting career with a big focus on public infrastructure. This means he's had the unique opportunity to be involved in some really huge projects that most in-house counsel wouldn't ever get the chance to do in their career. In this episode, we talk about the challenges Nathan overcame to deliver the new Sydney light rail project. We discuss some of the lessons he's learned from his very unique career path. And we also talk about how these experiences impacted Nathan winning his recent award. Let's dive in. So Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I thought we'd start out with just having a bit of a chat about your career up until now. And I understand that you started out in private practice. So where did you get started? I did. I started back in 2000 in a private practice in Adelaide in a small firm, Greg Griffin's firm, Griffin Hilditch Lawyers, and then moved from there after three years into an in-house practice with the Department of Defence. People have different reasons for moving. So what made you want to change to an in-house role? It was really the chance to be involved in projects from cradle to grave rather than providing advice that in abstract to be able to actually be part of the business and implement the advice working in commercial as well as legal areas and really just being able to get involved in those big, big projects from the ground up. It was just that exciting opportunity that I felt in-house would provide the opportunity for and it certainly worked out well. Well, we'll definitely delve into some of those big projects a bit later, but I understand before law was even on the horizon for you, you, like many people, watched Top Gun in the 80s <laughs> and you wanted to be a fighter jet flyer. Is that correct? I, I did. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was probably a good excuse to join the Department of Defence. So I ended, ah. up, uh, yeah, I ended up working on a lot of Air Force projects so for the Aviation Systems Division in the Defence Material Organisation, which is a fair mouthful, but it basically is just doing all of the contracts for the fast jets for the Air Force. So the FA-18 Hornet, the F-111 and the trainer fighter jet, which is the lead-in fighter. So those contracts, the complexity of those and the planes themselves were pretty interesting. So being able to go and use the simulator at times, which is pretty cool, but just being able to work on those contracts and see those projects in the air, as you would say, is a fantastic opportunity. So Nathan, procuring fighter jets, not too many people get to actually work on that type of contract. What are some of the unique legal challenges with that? Certainly dealing with the complexity of those contracts is unique. So statements of work and technical documents that run into the tens of thousands of pages, just reading them is a challenge, obviously trying to frame a contract around that. But thankfully, there are templates used by the Department of Defence, the infamous as DEFCON suite of templates that are used commonly across the industry. But also, I guess, into the PPP world in the transport projects, the contracts are almost as complex in terms of size, risk appetite and risk allocation between the parties. So 
The unique aspect is really dealing with that risk allocation between government and public sector, trying to get that right, given that you are often pricing for 15 years of operations and maintenance upfront, and trying to get that right is obviously the key challenge so that parties aren't losing money. Sounds amazing and definitely outside of your normal BAU day. So Nathan, you use the acronym PPP. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's public-private partnership. So it's a type of commercial model used by a lot of public transport authorities and governments around Australia. So effectively, it's private financing to help procure, build, own, operate, and maintain a lot of networks, whether it be road, rail, hospitals, et cetera, around Australia. So it's quite a common commercial model and uh, used a lot in the public transport space. I've been told that you call yourself a bit of a deal junkie. What does that actually mean? (laughs) It's a dangerous term. No, it really is just all about working from deal to deal. I tend to try and get involved early on in the projects, assisting our business development team, working on PPPs throughout my career in-house as well, and those major infrastructure projects. I guess there's a sick part of me that enjoys working late nights on those large projects particularly responding to government tenders and getting, I guess, into the trenches with the business development team, trying to add some value. But yeah, sort of bouncing from deal to deal, it's probably not the healthiest pastime, but I do enjoy it. Well, it certainly sounds like large-scale infrastructure has been a bit of a theme of your career. Has that always been a passion of yours? Yeah, it has. Ever since I started in-house, I was fortunate enough with Transfield Services, now Ventia, to work on a number of PPPs and major projects. Also for Yarra Trams, which is the largest tram network in the world, I guess I've always sort of gravitated to those mega projects, particularly infrastructure projects that you'd like to say they're city changing and just to see those being implemented from start through to uh, construction and operations. It is nice to be able to sort of see the fruits of your labor through some of those major projects. So It has always been a theme and I've always managed to find the next big project to work on, whether it's a Sydney light rail project or Sydney ferries. It's fantastic. Well, talking about some of those really major high profile projects, can you tell me a little bit about your involvement in the Sydney light rail one that you just mentioned? Yeah, I can. Well, at the moment, it's dealing with cracked trams on the Sydney light rail network. But before that, it was the start of the PPP process back in 2014. It was the main reason I joined TransDev all those years ago was to commence working on that PPP. And really, it was a case of joining TransDev, looking after the legal team, and we do all the legal work internally rather than engaging external lawyers on most of those projects, which is probably slightly unusual. But I guess my personal approach is rather than spending 800000 to a $1 million with external lawyers on one of those projects... I would rather grow my team and try and invest in the size of the team. So that's been a practice that's worked well in the past. And I'm particularly on Sydney Light Rail, worked very well just sort of using my operations and maintenance experience to progress with TransDev through that project when we were successful as part of the winning consortium. And then the full line, line three, was finally completed in 2019. So it was a long slog from 2014 through to then to have the network completed, but all major projects come with their fair share of issues and problems. But when the network's operating well, it is a fantastic light rail network and a great project to be involved in. And also, as you say, you can actually see the fruits of your labor after all those many years, which would be very satisfying. 
So Nathan, you're currently working at Transdev. Can you tell me a bit about the organisation and what does it do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm currently the Chief Legal and Commercial Officer at Transdev. So Transdev is a public transport operator and maintainer. So we operate a number of public transport networks around Australasia and the world. So we have about 83,000 employees around the world and operate in about 18 countries. But in Australasia, we operate Sydney ferries, buses in New South Wales, the light rail in Sydney, and also iconic projects in New Zealand, such as the Wellington Rail Network, and also buses in Auckland and Wellington. So we're a multimodal public transport operator. So we also do uh, some really innovative projects like autonomous vehicles, on-demand services. So it's an exciting place to work. Autonomous vehicle project. That one sounds pretty interesting. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I can, absolutely. So in Armidale, New South Wales, Transdev implemented an uh, autonomous shuttle bus. It's still obviously at the very early stages of its evolution to try and have autonomous fleets of buses running around the network. It's probably, I'd say, five to 10 years away from implementing those sort of projects on a large scale. But the concept of an autonomous shuttle is the next evolution of public transport. I think in the short term, projects like electric buses will be the main focus for public transport authorities, for governments. But autonomous buses, which the New South Wales government is starting to explore, I think is not far on the horizon either. Wow, feels like the future is here already. It would be working to shape our cities and bring, to some extent, a better lifestyle to those that are living in those cities. Sounds amazing. The autonomous trial, I think, in Armidale proved the concept. And certainly it has so many values. I mean, it was a tourist attraction at the time. It's a difficult one because it's a disruptor to the public transport standard operating model. Obviously, we make money through our drivers, but things like network planning, maintenance, as well as the opportunity to introduce other modes of transport and create that sort of modal connection across a city is a huge opportunity. So It's a challenge for, I think, operators and government, but something that we have to embrace. With the Autonomous Vehicle Project, I imagine there'd be some pretty tricky legal questions that come up with that. Could you take us through some of those? Yeah, absolutely. So first, importing the vehicle into the country was a significant challenge. Before the project even started, there are a few curly legal issues to deal with because obviously the standard road rules and design requirements in our country, but also in other countries around the world where we have introduced autonomous vehicles are all set for standard diesel buses in our world. So being able to bring an autonomous vehicle into the country and dealing with some of the safety issues associated with the autonomous nature of those operations, the insurance issue was a key problem that we overcame by raising the issue early with our insurers and walking them through some of our risk management practices. But the legal issues are hard to distinguish from some of the commercial and risk management issues with running autonomous vehicles. You know, things like risk assessments associated with running a bus with no one to intervene if something goes wrong. But what we were able to do successfully was have a almost a chauffeur on the vehicle for a number of months just to intervene if something did go wrong. Thankfully, it wasn't required, but those legal issues are constant. It's probably because it's such an unknown element of transport that doesn't necessarily raise particularly challenging legal issues. It's just such a fresh and novel issue and problem I suppose to deal with that you need to take the regulators 
along on the journey and bring them up to speed with the type of technology and those risk mitigations that are inherent in that technology. Yeah, fascinating, because that often is the way, isn't it, that technology is leading and then the law needs to catch up. And so you're also playing, by the sounds of it, a educating role as part of your legal role. You've worked on some pretty huge and futuristic projects by the sounds of it that probably a lot of in-house counsel wouldn't have the opportunity to get involved in. What's been the biggest lesson you've learned from working on these projects? The biggest lesson would certainly be to try and add value early on in those projects and to look at opportunities certainly equally, if not more so than the risks associated with those mega projects. It's often, I think, easy for legal teams, particularly in-house legal teams, to revert to the black hat approach of pointing out the issues associated with those projects. I think, though, the key is to try and identify the opportunities that come from those projects and those risks and really helping, say, a business development team identify those. Sort of a practical way I think in-house teams can do that is by facilitating risk workshops. Obviously, that sounds a bit black hat, but it's trying to identify the opportunities as well as the risks, whether that's qualitative or quantitative, to really try and help the business development team within your organization and work with them hand in hand. If you're seen to be trying to grow the business, then I think you're instantly viewed on that project as an ally. And that allows, I think, any team, particularly a legal team, to be involved in sort of those exciting elements up front. It can be involved in the design of the project, but obviously through to dealing with contracts, the supply chain, the procurement teams, if you are seen to be that ally for the good of the project and the good of the business, then I think the opportunities are endless on some of those projects. Thanks, Nathan. Such great advice. As you say, not only get involved up front, which we talk a lot about for in-house counsel, but the role that you can play in identifying not only risks, but the upside, the opportunities, and become a really valuable part of the team. Now, changing tact a little bit, in 2021, you were the winner of the In-House Lawyer of the Year Award at the Australian Corporate Lawyer of the Year Award. So congratulations, what an amazing accolade. At that time, you had finished some pretty big projects. Can you tell me, if we haven't covered them already, what were some of those projects that you were working on at the time? Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. It was a fantastic accolade. So it was really appreciated. And certainly it was due in large part to the quality of the legal team in Transdev. We were a fantastic team. So we were able to work just before that award on a few major projects, including the completion of the Sydney Light Rail project, where there was some significant completion disputes, as there always are on those infrastructure projects. The outcome of that dispute resulted in a two-year extension of the 15-year concession period, which is certainly in my career, I haven't seen that before. So that was sort of an exceptional milestone towards the end of the year, but also some structured financing arrangements that we did internally with the ANZ Bank for procuring ferries on behalf of the New South Wales government, which again is something I haven't seen in my career. Again, like all good projects, there's been a few issues with defects currently on those vessels on the Sydney Harbour, but that project through some structured financing allowed us to procure vessels on behalf of the New South Wales government. And so we were buying those ferries from both Indonesia and China, bringing them over and introducing those into service on Sydney Harbour and retiring some of the old life-expired vessels. So that was a fantastic project to end out the year. And to also, as you said, end in this wonderful award. 
you know, it's a pretty impressive award. You must have felt pretty special. How did it feel to take that home with you? Oh, look, it was an incredible moment, I suppose, in the career to be recognised by my peers in that way. So I was very humbled. I suppose it made me reflect on how I was able to work on some of those major projects with Transdev and also the input of the Transdev team. We've got a small team, but they're an incredible bunch, all women and fantastic lawyers, fantastic people, more importantly. So it was as much their award as it was mine. And what a wonderful manager to say that. As you say, so much of this is team effort, the work that we do. So Nathan, we're going to have a bit of a change of pace here. I'm going to throw a few questions at you and you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. If you met your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give them? (laughs) Calm down and relax, but enjoy the ride. (laughs) Maybe that energy and fire is what got you where you are today. (laughs) What's the one skill you've really had to develop through your in-house role? I think it's the ability to listen and also be seen to help grow the business by being involved early on and not just throw out the stop sign with risk. It's about embracing the opportunity as well. Yeah. So I said, great advice for all lawyers. Where do you go to upskill? A lot of CPD sessions. When we do engage external lawyers, we often use, say, Baker McKenzie on matters. It's perhaps learning via osmosis by working with those external lawyers when we do. And also upskilling by dealing with some of the incredibly competent people in the Transdev business. It's trying to develop that commercial acumen that comes from dealing, whether it be people in finance or business development or in operations. I always find that that's a fantastic way to upskill just generally rather than focusing on just legal skills. Yeah, it's so true. And I think one of the many benefits from being in-house that you do get to work with a wide variety of people. Who's someone you really admire? I'd say throughout my career, I've been incredibly lucky to work with fantastic individuals. There's probably no one person that I could point to, but certainly some of the executive team at Transdev, just being able to take their operational expertise in, say, light rail or the ferries business and being able to work with them, including our chief financial officer on a day-to-day basis. The most enjoyable part of my role is working with a really competent group of executives and enjoying the ride and working with them. So they tend to provide the day-to-day inspiration. As everyone knows, reading contracts is perhaps not the most exciting element of life, but being able to work with quality individuals, I think, certainly helps. Fantastic. What's one item on your bucket list? More travel and trying to uh, watch my kids grow up in a healthy and happy way and be able to spend time with them. Uh, Particularly when you're on the light rail or the ferries. Yeah, absolutely. They're sick of hearing their stories of how I was involved in building the network. They do enjoy it. Being able to travel with them is something that makes the day-to-day grind worth it. Exactly. What's your favourite hobby? That would be playing and coaching baseball. So my eight-year-old son has just started playing baseball. So helping to coach the team and watching him starting to love the game that I grew up playing is the best hobby at the moment. Fantastic. And what are you reading at the moment? I just finished a book by Daniel Silver, so I'm out looking for a new good espionage or crime fiction. I'm not quite sure what the next book will be. Uh, But crime fiction sounds fantastic. I love a bit of crime fiction as well. It's a good bit of light relief. And lastly, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I'm usually jumped on by my eight-year-old son, so it's probably to scream at him to get off the bed at 5.30 every morning. So. 
the first thing I do is head straight for the coffee machine in a zombie-like state. I don't think you're alone there. Although 5.30, there might not be so many of us up at that time. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Nathan. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show and to hear about what is really a fascinating career, starting obviously with your Top Gun love, but moving on to the Department of Defence and now working on these major infrastructure projects. I think you will have inspired a whole cohort of lawyers to start looking at infrastructure as a career choice. I really appreciate your time and look forward to hearing and seeing more of the work that you're doing. Thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to In-House Insiders, a podcast about the stories, challenges and lessons learned by Australia's top in-house legal professionals. In-House Insiders is produced by the Association of Corporate Counsel. ACC's purpose is to support the professional and business interests of in-house counsel through information, education, networking and advocacy initiatives. I've personally been an ACC member for 15 years and I continue to remain a member for the fantastic peer networking opportunities I get and the access to tailored CPDs that cater for every stage of an in-house lawyer's career. If you're not a member already, you can join me and over 45,000 other in-house counsel from around the world. For more information about ACC or to join, please visit the website acc.com. This has been In-House Insiders. I'm May Ramsey and I'll speak to you next time. Music